0: Hello, and welcome to Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a lot of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, one of your two hosts on this here program. My name is John Steinberg, joined by my wise, wise co-host, whose name is Aiden Merritt. Aiden, how are you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing good. Excited to be here tonight, John. Yes, as am I. Okay, so let's get into words to live by, a little wisdom for all of you dear listeners to uh, tuck away in your back pocket when the uh, times get tough and uh, the road gets long, a little bit of wisdom for you to rely on. So I picked the quote for this week, and I would like for you to read it if uh, you wouldn't mind.
1: Yeah, this little expert comes from the late Steve Jobs. Your time is limited. Don't waste it living someone else's life. John, I really actually like this one this week. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so
0: Steve Jobs, one of my personal heroes. Um, all of my students, like one of the first kind of, um, eh, not not speeches, but um, oh, pearls of wisdom uh, that I will give them is about how Steve Jobs had basically the same outfit um, and he just had Different, um, yeah, I mean, the same sweater just like over and over and over again, um, in his closet. So he was trying to eliminate, um, decision making. He recognized that there's a certain amount of decisions that you can make in a given day before, yeah, you know, uh, the, uh, the sharpness isn't there quite as much. So when I hear anything Steve Jobs related, I am very interested, and it occurred to me that we had never had a quote from him on this program. So I found this one, resonated with me, and uh, Aiden, it sounds like it resonated with you as well.
1: Yeah, no, it did, because you know, what? When, when I heard this quote, when you sent it over to me, I always kind of thought about it. I'm like, when people, just thinking of people in general— everyone almost bases everything off perception. Like everyone's thinking like, how do people view me? I mean, it, it's almost like, I guess, toxic in a way. People are always like, how do people view me? How can I be more like this person? Um, you know, I think even growing up, I mean, people put pressure on themselves, like when they want to, you know, especially in sports career wise, like I want to be like this player. What, what do I need to do to be like this player, which can be good to an extent, but that's the thing is to an extent like, yes, yeah, Should you go out and practice your hardest? Yes. Yeah, should you go out and try and do your best? Should you try and be a good role model? Yes, yes, and yes. But at the end of the day, you are your own person. You have your strengths, you have your weaknesses. And the crazy thing is that these, you know, these people we look up to that we should follow, there are definitely things, you know, tools and things that we need to follow to be our successful best self. We need to be ourself at the end of the day. And that's something that I think can get lost when, you know, we're chasing a goal or chasing a dream. We wanna be like that person, which is fantastic, but you have to do it in your own way, be yourself. You have to, the perception, yes, is is, does your perception matter? Do you want it to be a good one? Obviously, but it shouldn't be, you know, my perception, you know, I love this guy. I want it to be, my perception should be this guy. I want, I'm going to do everything based on how this guy does it. Um, If I'm not doing it that way, you know, something's wrong with me. No, nothing's wrong with you. You just have the wrong vision of what you want to be, you should be yourself. And I think that's something that I think people, especially in today's age, uh, you know, they struggle with, I mean, there's just, there's pressures on people, you know, growing up. And I mean, John, we talked about it. It's at the youth age where it's really important to teach these things because then they kind of grow up. They see it, they keep growing. They learn by that way. And, you know, when if we're, you know, putting this, I guess, like toxic uhness of like, you know, you need to do things a certain way. You need to be a certain way. um It, it doesn't do them good. It doesn't do anybody good. So, uh, and, you know, it doesn't do the world good. I mean, we need everyone's unique in their own way. They need to go to their strengths. uh You know, obviously work on your weaknesses, but at the end of the day, I mean, do you want to taste dream? You want a goal? Definitely follow some steps. But at the end of the day, you have to be yourself. You have to do what you're passionate about. And you might be a little bit different, but guess what? You're following this person because they were different from the rest. That's what makes them important. They were different from the rest. Like the Tom Brady's, the Patrick Mahomes, they were different from the rest. They didn't, you know, just, you know, follow the same, you know, strategic thing. They, you know, they had their own strategies of getting there because they were themselves. And you know what? Now people, you know, want to simulate themselves to them, um, it's a little bit hard to uh, be them, obviously, but um, this is something that I think everyone can take with them at the youth level. Um, you got to have to be yourself. It's great to follow a path and a journey, but be your, at the end of the day, you need to be yourself. You need to do what's best for you. And obviously, Steve Jobs, perfect example of that. I don't think anyone, you know, believed him when he was doing the great things that he was doing. And, uh, you know, Steve Jobs didn't care. He was going to be himself and you know, obviously one of, uh, I think, the most influential smartest men in history. Definitely, definitely.
0: And a guy that was not ostentatious with, you know, his lifestyle, like I uh, mentioned before with the clothing issue. Also, I mean, this is a guy that it's not like he lived in a crazy gated community somewhere like – his house is right next to Stanford, and I just I'm, – I'm forever in awe of what that guy was able to achieve in his relatively short life. It's always so fascinating to me that a guy who seemed inconquerable was taken out by pancreatic cancer at the age of 57. Um, but this quote, live for yourself. Your time is limited. Could not agree more. Now, let's uh, kick it on to our next segment, Handprints Hall of Fame, where we take a look at someone that we find inspirational, somebody that we believe merits having their hands cemented in, if you think about Brahmin's Chinese Theater and all the movie stars that have had their uh, footprints, handprints out front in the dirt forever, we're going for something like that. So. This week, we are going to be inducting
1: whom, Mr. Barrett? Yeah, this week, we're going to induct Jordan Hogue into the Handprint Hall of Fame. I mean, I thought this was a great pick for this week. Obviously, he's a director, but he suffers from cerebral palsy. And, you know, the thing that made me, you know, when I was looking, you know, more into him, wanting to get, you know, more information about him, something struck me to make it even more, you know, influential uh, this guy is that he said you know he's been in the industry for 15 years and he's the only disabled director that he knows and like when you think of like how scar- scarcity that is in you know, a 15 years that he's not able to you know meet another director uh, that struggles with some type of disability it kind of questions like why is that how do we change that I mean we just talked about the quote from Steve Jobs. How do we, you know, have somebody go out there and say, you know, I want to, you know, I, there are other Jordan hoax out there who want to direct, who want to be in film, who want to act. We have them out there. Where are they? How do we start, you know? getting those seeds to blossom how do we get those flowers to blossom how do we start bringing these guys to light because obviously he's super talented there are other people out there with disabilities who are super talented you know he shouldn't be able to say in 15 years he can't meet another disabled director when we know that there are people out there who want to be you know a director who want to be in film want to be in tv they are out there how do we, you know, get those people out there? I mean, he's had a great career so far. I mean, he's directed over 40 episodes of Holly Oaks and BBC's Doctor Two Stevens of Ackley Bridge. Uh, I mean, those are just some of the things that he's been involved with and been, you know, one of the main guys uh, in the production side of things. Where are these other Jordan Hogues out there? Why aren't we hearing more of them? How do we hear more of them? I mean, John, obviously you work with a bunch of people in the disability uh, community. When you hear, that, you know, these people's aspirations, and these people's goals, and you know, you kind of look at the industry, and maybe in that industry, it's kind of like lacking disabled people. What what do you tell them? You know, when they when they want to go after these goals, what what what's kind of your conversations with them?
0: I mean, who wants to be the first? Who wants to be, you know, the Wright brothers? Who wants to be the proverbial creator, the person who crosses? Well, that's an unfortunate pun given the cultural moment. But uh, who wants to cross the picket line? Um, there will be someone, and maybe it's even Jordan Hogue today, um, who's able, you know, to walk into a room full of dudes with money. That want to invest in the entertainment industry, and he's able to articulate to them his vision for everything that he's trying to translate on screen, and it becomes cool for them to go. You know what? Yeah, we're not going to put our ten million behind the latest uh, David O. Russell project or Wes Anderson or um, somebody like that. The cool thing would be to put our money behind this up-and-coming, extraordinarily talented, visionary director who's the first of his kind. There hasn't been a person like this. And, you know, like um, Branch Ricky helping to get Jackie Robinson to cross baseball's color barrier, we need someone to really put some money down who believes in the disabled community. Uh, believes in the vision that someone from within our ranks is trying to bring to the public. So it just takes one, and then after the one, then a precedent is created. And then after that, it'll be like, well, okay, you see how Jordan Hogue did that? You could be the next one. So it just takes one, Aiden, I think.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the thing that that one is always the hardest. And I, you, you're right about that. We, we need that one. And, and, you know, it's good that we have, you know, Jordan Hoke, but I mean, it, it's been 15 years and obviously there's, uh, you know, more people out there. I mean, he was talking, he talked to a, a Los Angeles charity and they said that they were only able to name one other director uh, who had a, a disability uh, that, that, that they knew of. So, I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate because me and you both know that they're out there. I mean, we, we have plenty of people, influential people coming on our show. I mean, we had just had a great guest today come on our show. Uh, we know that they are out there. So we need to find a way to, you know, kind of, you know, carve them out, find them and, uh, you know, show that they have those, you know, those talents, and uh, you know, we encourage anybody out there who you know has a disability or even doesn't have a disability, but if they have a disability, don't have a disability. Encourage you to you know go out and be what you want to be. I mean, oh, you're, you're only yourself at the end of the day. You have to go be yourself, and if you can be yourself, you have a passion, talent, whether you have a disability or not. Go out there, go work for it, and go you know go be great. Because at the end of the day, you, you can't deny greatness whether you're disabled or not. If if you're great, you're working hard. Uh, go for what you want to do. And I mean, that's what I'm sure Jordan Hoag had that mindset. I mean, he said, it, it's not even something that he likes to do. It's something he has to do. I mean, this was something that, you know, whether he had cerebral palsy or not, it's something that he had to do. He has a passion for it. Um, and obviously, I mean, it shows. I mean, his his, uh, his, re- his repertoire record shows for itself. Uh, you know, he obviously is someone who's really passionate and somebody who does a great job. And I mean, He's doing a good job for the disability community. Hopefully more people follow in his steps because, like you said, John, just takes that one person.
0: Yeah, I believe it was one Mahatma Gandhi who's quoted as saying, be the change you want to see in the world. So I don't know who it's going to be who's going to step up to the plate and um, be that person. But hopefully, whether it's uh, Jordan Hogue or somebody else, hopefully change is a coming.
1: We got, uh, now, we got uh We, as I was saying, John. Now we have we have uh, two words to live by this week.
0: We do, we do. <laughs> Inadvertent, but accurate, nevertheless. And uh, now we are going to be moving on to profiles Encourage, courage. Our opportunity to speak with someone on the front lines of the disabled world. Um, we like to talk to people that inspire us and people that make us think and question stuff and bring a a lot to the table. So, Aiden, who are we chatting with this week?
1: Yeah, this week we're talking about with one of the podcasters of the Dented Puck. Drew Garza is going to be on here today. He's going to talk to us about blind hockey. His experiences and a little bit about their podcast should be a good one. Okay, let's get to it. All right, Drew, thanks for joining us here today. Um, just to kind of start off, where did your love for hockey come from? Uh,
2: My godfather's sister worked for the Dallas Stars front office when I was a kid, so they were huge into hockey. Uh, and so they got me out on rollerblades in a Target parking lot. Uh, and from there, it just took off. So I was probably four or five. Um, So just played all through my life. And I don't know, it's, uh it's a interesting community to be a part of um you know like any kind of community but um you know it's it's definitely very tight-knit uh i've actually run into people that i played against in high school that live halfway across the country now that we've run into just through like happenstance so it's pretty cool to have that experience too
1: yeah definitely obviously you know you really love the game you guys created a podcast the dented puck Where did that idea come from?
2: Yeah, so uh, I actually went on to another podcast and uh, that gentleman had been in an accident and was paralyzed. So he was doing um, this hockey podcast because he was like me, we both loved hockey. Uh, He had me on when he found out that I played blind hockey and I got off of that and I went to my buddy and I was like, we got to do the same thing. Like we have to find a way to get our guys' stories out there because that's the most interesting part of of blind hockey is the route that all of us got to that sport is completely different from player to player, even if they have the same genetic disease or anything like that, it'll, it's always a different path. So uh, it's always incredible to hear how they've gotten from point A to point B.
1: Yeah. You know, you talk about, you know, a different route, different situation, um, when you see players, you know, starting in blind hockey, what is the engagement level like? Because, you know, it's for some people with disabilities, obviously it can be a little bit harder, a little bit more challenging for them. How do you get someone to, you know, I guess through your guys' podcast almost, you know, see that this is possible? And how do you, you know, get or see people stick with it? Like, have you heard from people like, you know, or, you know, in blind hockey, how they, you know, kept going with it and now, you know, obviously they enjoy it for fun?
2: Um. You know, I think that it's multiple ways in the community. Um, You know, there are guys like me that grew up playing hockey, then lost their vision. And so finding blind hockey was getting something back that we had lost. Uh, But then you also have some of my teammates that were blind from birth or from very young that only know blind hockey. And it was just something that, you know, they were a Blackhawks fan or an Islanders fan or something. And now they got to play the sport that they loved playing. Uh, And that's what made them kind of stick with it and want to get better. Um, But that is also, you know, there is a certain level of crazy that you have to have to be, you know, legally blind and on ice moving at the speeds that we do. So um, it's, it's a particular person and some people find it's just not for them and you can't, you cannot fault anyone for not, you know, wanting to risk running into a board or another person, what have you.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, obviously you just said it's not for everyone going into it, you know, when talking and exploring this community from, you know, either people have come on your show or just from experience blind hockey from yourself, from someone on the outside, what is something that maybe they weren't aware of or even yourself weren't aware of going into it that you learned and you were kind of like, oh, wow, you know, I never really thought of it that way or somebody who's you know not in the community might be like, "Oh, okay, wow, I, I never honestly even put that together." Um what what are what are some of those things that you know you've maybe experienced or you know heard from through other people?
2: Um I you know, I think that honestly the biggest kind of, "Oh, wow, that's a thing." is blind hockey in general. Um most of our guys had no idea. I lost my sight when I was 27 and I didn't find blind hockey till I was 30. So in that time, I didn't think to look on Google, I didn't think to ask anybody else, like I didn't think to look at a rink. And one day I I looked and I found it. And it's it's that aha moment of, I've just wasted three years not getting to play and now I've, I've found it, so let's do it. Um, I also think that the misconception is that we're a bunch of blind guys that just move really slow, uh, You know, r- run into each other and just don't know where the puck is, and while the running into each other and not knowing where the puck is sometimes is definitely appropriate, uh, we move really fast. Uh, I I played all through high school, and these guys are hands down better than most of the people that I grew up playing with, and and can't see. So um, I think that you know when it's cool to hear about it, but you really need to kind of see it in person to kind of get the full effect of the sport.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the first time that I actually heard about blind hockey was um, I saw you guys at the Ability Expos in, uh, back in Los Angeles in February. And, you know, I was just super impressed to like, you know, understand that, you know, this was a sport that people, you know, who had lost their sight were able to play. So it was something that was super impressive to, with uh, with me. So definitely want to hear that. I know that John is great also at finding those you know, substitutes for things that he loves um, being visually impaired. So, John, definitely, I'm sure you have some questions for Drew.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do. So, Drew, uh, you mentioned the uh, the aha moment where, okay, you'd been visually impaired for three years before you ever heard of blind hockey. Um, I've been visually impaired for, I, I don't know, like 18 years now. And um, I work at a school for the blind, essentially. And I had never heard of it until Aiden told me that you were coming on and I began listening to your podcast. So for our listeners who may or may not be, you know, in the visually impaired world uh, within the disabled community, outside the disabled community, okay, can you kind of paint a picture of how blind hockey is different from, oh, your standard hockey?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And honestly, the answer is not very. Um we have, I'll say, three main adaptations that allow us to play the sport. Um, the main one is our puck. So a regular puck is, uh, you know, two and a half, or sorry, three, I think three inches by whatever an, an inch. Our puck is five and a quarter inches wide by two inches tall, uh, made out of sheet steel and has ball bearings in it. So it makes noise as it gets hit. Uh, either with a stick or moving across the ice. Um, the other rule or other adaptation is our goal is a foot shorter. So all of our goalies have to wear blinders to be totally blind, um, to kind of make sure that we're not hitting them in the head as much. Uh, our goal is a foot shorter so that when they're down in what we call the butterfly, which is basically on their knees with their pads uh, splayed out just either side, their head is still above the crossbar. So, you know, if our shooters are aiming for that that post, it's not, you know, right next to their ears. It's a little bit low. Um, the last aspect is that when we go into the offensive zone with carrying the puck, we have to complete one pass, which an electric pass whistle will go off. And that's what lets the goalies and the defensemen know that a shot could be coming in. So we don't have things like breakaways. Um, someone can't just skate up and down the ice and take it through everybody and score. Uh, so it's just really built to, um, be as similar as possible with that, with the minimalist adaptations that we can utilize.
0: Incredible, incredible stuff. Um, are you on board with some of the other adaptive sports, you know, um, oh, beat baseball and, um, yeah, a goal ball, um, comes to mind and, um. Some of the other adaptive sports that are popular within uh, the visually impaired community?
2: um, you know, unfortunately no and and that's to no um, fault of those sports. Even growing up, I was only a hockey player. I didn't I played soccer a little bit when I was growing up, um, but hockey was and always has been my thing. Um, I've also hurt my shoulders pretty pretty good over the years, so. Uh, the thought of swinging at that one pound beat baseball definitely doesn't doesn't seem like it would feel very nice. Um, and goal ball is. It's an interesting game to me. I've got a buddy that uh, plays out in Seattle and it it sounds brutal, like it looks like it wouldn't hurt that much. But then you hear about just getting hit with that ball. And uh, that's I, I think I'll take my metal puck over any of those options <laughs> any day. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: okay, I lost my eyesight, you know, at like uh, 19 or so. Um, But I grew up following, ooh, I'm from Southern California. Uh, So, I mean, the easiest name to cite is like a Paul Correa with the Ducks, Mm -hmm. Timu Solani, Luke Robitaille. Um, So I wonder, and to be honest with you, other than, oh, your Ovechkins, uh, Connor McDavid's, Crosby other than like the real, real kind of heavy hitters um, in the league, I can't really name all the players like I could in the 90s where I could just rattle off players for an hour. So I'm interested when new players come into the league um, where you were never able to see what they look like before losing your eyesight, do you kind of mentally cast them? as okay like this guy kind of sounds like a Marc Messier type so in my mind I have uh, sort of a Marc Messier sort of appearance attached to his name when I hear it because his game is similar to that of a Marc Messier or it's just something um that I think people outside of the visually impaired community find kind of interesting when you tell them things like that like oh well I rely on memories that I had before I lost my sight. Um, So this guy seems kind of like a Gretzky. So I've got Gretzky in my mind when he's out on the ice.
2: Yeah. Um, So I'm actually, I I call myself very fortunate because uh, I lost my vision due to diabetic retinopathy. So I lost my left eye and all of the peripheral in my right eye, but I have tunnel vision. But what I can see in that small space i can see really well so i guess luckily for me i i kind of know what these guys play like um and and look like so i don't you know or, and i guess unfortunately that means i don't really get to think in those terms but i that's really interesting i never thought about putting putting that perspective on them um to help create a mental image of the player beyond just the player's play style
0: Uh, oh yeah if i think if i think about like ovechkin in particular for some reason yarmir yager comes to mind Mm. so in my head whenever i think about ovechkin i've got this mental image of this guy with this crazy mullet you know kind of quote-unquote hockey player haircut um and uh that's kind of who i see um and with crosby like i said i've got kind of gretzky in mind um I haven't looked as to whether they're the same height. Um, I forget, honestly. Um, I think they both played forward, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But beyond that, um, I don't have a ton to go on other than previously internalized memories. It's kind of the same thing. Um, It's like, uh, if you ask me, who's the most beautiful woman in the world? I will always tell you, oh, it's Natalie Portman. Like, I could be... Uh, 80 years old, and that's still going to be my answer, just frozen in time. It's kind of the last thing that I visually remember. Um, So uh, in any event, um, I did get a chance to listen to a few episodes of The Dented Puck. I listened to one um, where you guys had on a woman named Kelsey, who um, was kind of on the front lines of bringing uh, blind hockey to Philly in conjunction with the Flyers. So I'm curious, what are, like, kind of where are we um, in terms of how widely available is blind hockey in communities throughout the United States?
2: Yeah, you know, we're, so I am fortunate enough, recently uh, I became the blind hockey rep for USA Hockey. So I've been able to kind of work a little bit more closely with USA Hockey to help grow the sport. Um, And so our goal this year is growth and availability to as many communities as possible. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, we can do these triad events, but it's all based on the availability of coaches that will be there every week, players that will be there every week, because we have had some programs that start off really strong, you know, those first six months, they're great. But then the players get tired of having to go and skate. You know, maybe they don't like the drills or X, Y, and Z, or the coaches have another season that they're playing. Um, so really, our biggest, I would say, struggle in bringing this sport to more places is finding the uh, stability of a program, people that are willing to be in it for the long haul uh, for the each program.
0: So our people kind of the craziest for the sport on the East. coast. I mean, just because your podcast has like an East coast kind of bent to it. Um, but I imagine there are, you know, teams and people that are all about it um, on the West coast and in other parts of the country as well.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I think that the East coast is always going to be the place that we're going to have the most teams and most players just because they're also jam packed together. Um and hockey is a little bit more accessible to them out there because it actually gets cold enough to have outdoor rinks and things like that. Um, but we do have really good, I I don't want to call them leads, like it's a sales tool, but leads in you know, the LA Anaheim area. Uh, the ducks have been really upfront with wanting to support a blind hockey program there. Um, it's just finding, again, finding the right people that will, help run it. Uh, when we were at Abilities Expo in LA, uh, we met, I want to say, at least 10 blind or visually impaired player or people that would were interested in playing. Um, so it's like we have the the interest. We have people that want to try it. It's, it's again, it's, there are just so many steps that we have to take to make sure that it's a successful program. We don't want to just give you one or two times on the ice and then say, OK. It's on you now. Like I want to go into LA, say, here's the program. You can try it this first week. If you're good to go, then this is when your practices will be. And then we just keep rolling with it. Um, But again, it's finding the uh, people and and places that are willing to work with us as well. Either it's discounted ice time, free ice time, coaching, you know, whatever it may be. It's finding those partnerships in the area so that it can become a program that's self-sustaining.
0: Southern California, home. Uh, do you know the Zamboni was founded in uh, in Southern California? Found that out not too really? long ago. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I believe in um, Paramount. Um, yeah. Uh, in event, Okay. I have one more question before I turn it back over to Aiden. Best hockey movie in your opinion?
2: Oh man. Without
0: uh, let's take Mighty Ducks off the table. Unless unless that is your favorite
2: uh man that's a tough one um you know i think mystery alaska was probably my favorite um
0: yeah russell crowe
2: yeah yeah when, whole... he still
0: ca- oh, when he yeah. still cared about performing
2: <laughs> exactly exactly um and it had a good like ensemble cast and uh i thought it was really good um uh, but i mean you all slap is always a good one too oh um,
0: yes yes yeah
2: there, i i feel like any hockey movie that people you know you can say the name and like, oh, yeah, that one. that means that it it did its job, and it's a good, you know, good to go movie, definitely,
0: definitely. I was thinking miracle, but that's a little cliche on my end, and all uh, of that.
2: you know um, we we watch it at, not as a team, but we as individuals, me and my Josh, the other gentleman that founded the the foundation with me, um we probably watch Miracle once or twice before we go play Canada uh so it's not cheesy i just felt like it was too easy of a, a pick to sure
0: <laughs> yeah no I, I i love mystery alaska that's a that's a david e kelly project that no one remembers as a david e kelly project <laughs> um all right aiden kicking it back over to you sir
1: yeah you know i'm I'm gonna answer that question too real quick mine actually is uh is miracle i mean that's my favorite movie uh just in general i love that movie uh Obviously, a hockey fan and just, you know, the story behind it is great. Uh, Drew, you mentioned earlier, you know, goalies have to wear blinders. Um, And I also asked you earlier, you know, is there any way like how sometimes people people who aren't visually impaired, how they can maybe don't understand everything that goes on in blind hockey. For someone like me, is there, have you guys thought of a way, you know, putting on maybe like a program where someone like me kind of experienced like what it's like to play blind hockey so we can kind of understand what you guys are going through while you're out there on the ice?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Dented Pack has a traveling team of blind and visually impaired individuals uh, that go to different charity tournaments. We mostly work with a group called Dog Nation uh but when we play them in a showcase game they'll all wear goggles that imitate different forms of blindness so i mean we can't do a lot with acuity but you know we'll black out one whole eye and then put you know blind spots all over the other lens Uh, or we'll scuff it up or use like a matte finish so that it's a little bit foggy um and Really, it's because the other reason behind not wanting to make you as blind as some of our players are is is safety. You know, you're you're out there playing hockey, and it's the first time that you've you know the entire left side is gone, and you've only got certain spots on the right. We don't necessarily want you to have to deal with everything all at once. Um, but it, from what I've heard, it's uh it's a pretty good representation. A lot of people are like, oh, okay, this is what you have to deal with. Um, some of them don't like it at all, so we'll find that they've like scratched some of the paint off so they could see a little bit better uh, through the game. But that's that's the tool that we utilize to to let people kind of experience what we have,
1: yeah, you know that that's actually really interesting that you mentioned that because I was thinking to myself, like, how do you make it safe? Because obviously, like someone like myself going from you know completely like full vision playing hockey. And then going like completely blind doesn't really seem safe for them or even though, you know, players who have been playing blind for a little bit longer. So that's really interesting that, you know, you don't make it completely blind, but still give them almost, you know, an example of like what you guys are seeing or what you guys are doing while you're out there on the ice. So definitely that's really interesting. You mentioned going, you know, when you play like Team Canada, um, when you're playing, you know, uh, people from other countries, Is there almost like a difference? Is there is there a difference in game style between or like uh rules, or is it kind of, I mean, obviously, you guys, there's certain rules you have to abide by, but is there like differences from either playing these guys or talking with these guys, like how you know their game is played?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, the the Canadians started this in the 70s, so they've got you know 50 years on us as far as how they progress the gameplay. Um, they're definitely a lot smoother. Um, but they're a lot larger than us too so we do practices that maybe have five to eight players there at a time they have enough players at every practice that they're just scrimmaging so a lot of game sense gets drilled into them um they kind of learn the natural rotation of of play uh so you know it's they definitely have a a step up on us um as far as when the US plays Canada it it's always going to be completely different when you're playing for your country against another country uh it definitely gets amped up to 11 and um people are just flying out there uh and it's it is faster hockey than i've than i've played in my life and um you know the canadians have some <sighs> I, I hate to say it, the canadians have just some incredible players on their team that that just it's their sport you know it's ingrained in that society and in that community and they can do things that I'm like I don't when I could see everything I don't know that I could have done half of that so
1: yeah, no, Canada. If they got one thing, they definitely have hockey. Um, you know, going back seven months ago, me and John had never even heard of blind hockey. Now we both know, and th- through this, you know, this conversation, we've gotten some really good insight on, it. And I'm sure our listeners will too. You know, you said Canada has, you know, 50 years of doing this. Um, you guys right now you're growing. What do you think is the best way to keep growing this sport and getting it out there?
2: Uh, working with the blind schools. You know, finding you know, I I do think that's kind of a shortcoming of the United States as a whole, is that there is not um, a lot of blind and you know blind schools in the country. Um, a lot of times, the kids just get put into a standard high school. Uh, I know that at the high school I went to, they ended up with the special uh, kids, uh, special ed kids, which just I think shows. Uh I I think it's just hard for people to understand how to kind of deal with blind people. Um, but finding the schools that have that are built specifically for them and going in and you know, making it a field trip day and then, you know, showing them that you're safe to do this and that we can, you know, teach you how to skate or teach you how to play hockey, whatever it may be. Uh I I think really our, our thing is give allowing people to try it, giving them the opportunity to try it because Like I said, it's not for everyone. Not everyone's going to want to learn how to skate. Not everyone's going to want to learn how to play hockey if they want to learn how to skate. But um, it's giving every visually impaired, blind, child, adult the opportunity to try it and find out for themselves if it's something that they want to continue doing. Uh, And to that end, we keep doing try-blind hockey events across the country. Um, It's just a matter of finding the right partner to to make sure that we can grow it more
1: yeah i know that that's great that you guys go to the schools i know me and john talk all the time one of the best ways you know get people involved is teaching through the youth so it's great that you guys are going through the schools Drew, thank you for coming on today definitely let our uh audience know how they can find you guys how they can find your podcast and you'll learn more about blind hockey
2: yeah um we're the dented puck on pretty much everything it's the dented puck podcast on uh amazon spotify all those fun places facebook we're just the dented puck um but it's a weird enough name that no one else was able to get it so we got it on everything
1: that's awesome yep they got some really cool guests on there really cool show going on on over there we got a really cool guest today drew garza thank you for joining us today uh great, great conversation
2: awesome thanks guys i really appreciate it
1: yeah thanks so much man Awesome stuff there, Drew. Thank you for coming on. If you're still listening, definitely something that, uh, you know, needs to get out there. I mean, John, we were just saying, I mean, we we haven't even known about uh, blind hockey until the past, you know, seven months. I mean, you said you just heard about it. I just heard about it, you know, back in February. I mean, what an awesome thing and creative thing that they've came up with.
0: Incredible stuff. Really. I mean, I'm somebody that has been,
1: oh, in the
0: mesh, shall we say. Visually impaired community for quite some time, like I said on in the interview, and I had never heard of blind hockey. So goes to show, every time you think you've got it all down, you actually do not. <laughs> Very exciting stuff, Aiden.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, uh, some really exciting stuff. And I mean, they said you know the Canadians have been doing this for 50 years, and uh but you know. Yeah, we're we're definitely growing it as well. And know Drew's podcast doing a great job, you know, getting out there. They got some great guests on. I definitely strongly encourage you guys to uh if you like this podcast, definitely go give them a listen as well. The Dented Pop Podcast.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. So now uh, we are going to talk about representation and respect in the media, where we take a look at oh, a movie, a television show, we've examined songs plays books short stories lots of things where we always ask ourselves the fundamental question did they get this right so this week aiden my man you got to make the selection what are we talking about for representation and respect in the media this week
1: yeah i went all the way back to the 2001 film i am sam directed by jesse nelson uh, Sam played by the role of Sean Penn, you know, the single uh, father in Los Angeles who is uh, mentally retarded. And he, you know, he gets this daughter who, uh, you know, he finds from a homeless woman who really doesn't want to take care of her anymore. Um, and, you know, Sam's going to, you know, try and raise this uh, this daughter, because obviously we can tell right from the start, John, that Sam has a really good heart. He, You know, he wants to be someone who can help and uh, you know he, he really kind of falls, you know, in love this general, rela- general love relationship with Lucy, helping her grow up. But when Lucy starts to get older, it's still a pretty young age. She's kind of outgrowing Sam, not in the way of love or anything, but more in the sense of you know, obviously Sam struggles, uh, you know, mentally a little bit. And Lucy's kind of starting to outgrow uh, Sam's level of intelligence. And, you know, this is starting to become a little bit of a problem in, you know, social areas. Um, I mean, it's obvious that her friends are able to pick up that Sam is a little bit off. Um, Even at the young age of like, you know, first, second grade, they're kind of picking up that Sam might be a little bit different from uh, maybe their parents. And Lucy understands this as well. She actually tells one of the boys um that that he basically that he is mentally retarded um and you know, you know sam is somebody who really loves lucy and unfortunately this gets bad enough where they they're trying to put lucy into foster care and they do now sam he still loves lucy very much wants to keep taking care of her i mean i'm kind of explaining the movie but wants to keep taking care of lucy um, and he he wants to fight for it. So, you know, him and his friends, his friends also have some issues. Him and his friends, they you know, they talk, tell him to go talk to this lawyer Rita. Rita's gonna help him. And the, the part that I really like here is that Rita is able to help him eventually they get the custody back of his daughter. But um, the, the part that I liked here is that we had why I wanted to pick this movie, or one of the reasons why we wanted to pick this movie is that. I thought Hughes really they did a really good job. They have Sam. Maybe he's, you know, he's not the smartest person in the world. We know that he struggles in social situations, doesn't always pick up on everything. But he's able to help Rita in a way. He's able to help Rita reconnect that relationship with her son that, you know, it's kind of dwindled away. He's able to reshow her love with his, her son through his, his kind of emotions and love for his daughter, Lucy, how hard he's trying to fight for Lucy. It was almost kind of like a, kind of an eye opener, I think for Rita that, um, you know, here's someone who wants to fight so hard for his daughter. And I mean, she can't even, you know, she's having a trouble, trouble time relating with her own son and I mean she's not even mentally retarded so they really show Sam in a good light here that you know maybe he's not great in these ways but he's someone who's loving someone who's caring and someone who can show that love to somebody else who isn't mentally retarded and able to kind of reconnect that family or that relationship that daughter and son relationship um, so you know i thought they did a really good job showing it there so all in all john i thought they did a pretty good job with showing this you know this mentally retarded person having love for daughter wanting to do the right thing helping another relationship along the way i thought they did a, a pretty good job especially going back what 22 years ago at this point so i mean 22 years ago having a film out like this I, th- I thought uh, I thought they did a pretty good job, John. What what, what about you?
0: Yeah, it's interesting uh, when you mentioned that we were going to be talking about the film. I flashed back to so like I'm old enough to remember when this came out, and I remember the soundtrack. It had a just a really really nice soundtrack. Uh, there was some Eddie Vedder on there, like multiple Eddie Vedder songs and a Beatles cover, as I recall. And in any event revisiting the because i haven't seen it since the film came out so revisiting the film um okay there's the one temptation which you know you have to kind of steal yourself from which is to go oh i know way too much about sean penn now and i it's very hard to watch sean penn um stuff without going oh right the guy you know like he interviewed el chapo and he's in ukraine and He's uh, budding up to Hugo Chavez when he was in power in Venezuela. Like, he has a, had a very prolific off-screen life, shall we say. Focusing on the movie, though, in and of itself, it gets us to the fundamental question of who's qualified to be a parent. I mean, that's kind of what the entire film is grappling with. Um, and I think there were a number of movies, television shows, pieces of pop culture... Uh, that have asked this question from time to time and in different ways, whether it's oh a discussion from 15 years ago regarding can uh, a same-sex couple supply a child with the kind of love that they would get if they had a mother and a father, um, just any kind of depiction of parenting outside the quote-unquote norm. That's kind of what this movie is grappling with. And if you divorce yourself from Sean Penn, the human being, and merely focus on the events transpiring on screen, uh, it is an impactful film. Uh, The performances are quite good. It's the first time that audiences were ever introduced to Dakota Fanning. And I could not believe this. Uh, Two-year-old Elle Fanning uh, is actually in the movie as well. With, uh, with her seven-year-old sister. Of course, you have Michelle Pfeiffer in the mix. It's a pretty heartwarming movie, to be completely honest. If you divorce yourself from mm, some of the uh, off-the-field stuff, uh, it is a pretty heartwarming depiction of um, a mentally challenged individual who is just trying to be an effective, loving, doting parent like uh, anyone else and is being put into this uncomfortable box and trial, unfortunately, questioning whether or not he is even capable of caring for a child. When I think 20 years on, um, I think, well, I would like to believe that at least culturally we've learned the lesson. Um, A child needs love, you know, a child needs uh, people that care about them, uh, people that have their best interests at heart and people that are, you know doing their best to make sure that they are raised in a loving supportive environment
1: irrespective
0: of who the person is who's actually doing that
1: yeah john i mean another reason to want to bring this uh this movie on is um because you know kind of it, like you said it relates to the outside world as well, outside of the movie i mean i found a couple of statistics you know one in ten parents that live with their children they have a disability so that means uh every you know ten couples w- w- there's two parents that have um a disability um the University of Bristol they did a little bit of a study they found that uh learning to, learning disabilities it is more open to helping you know the mom on parenting than it is so much the father- father like they help the father in like other ways you know like with jobs and stuff like that, but the parenting aspect it's not as open to helping a father. My question to you almost is, do you think it would make a, diff- a bigger difference on society if this movie comes out in 2023 instead of 2001. Do you think there's more of an open mind, you know, 22 years later where this maybe is even more impactful? Um. Well, on one hand,
0: sure. On the other hand, can't help but think about the movie Tropic Thunder. And uh, if you know where I'm going with this, the simple Jack character, uh, the Ben—it's like the movie within a movie, where the Ben Stiller character has portrayed a mentally challenged individual on screen, and the Robert Downey Jr. character in the movie is, you know, giving him um, a tongue lashing for it. And so there is that, like, oh, okay, you know, um, Sean Penn—it feels like you're trying to win an Oscar here by taking this role to begin with. Uh, so I think that aspect of the film would probably override uh, some of the other heartwarming portions yeah. of it. But again, if uh, folks were to completely divorce themselves from that and just exclusively focus on the content of the film, yes, I do. I do think um, it would resonate in, yeah. uh, in a deeper way with audiences.
1: Yeah, because sure. yeah, I'm thinking like, if they do redo this film, I think me and you both agree, that we would like to see a, a disabled character play um, play Sam. Like, wh- whether it be, I mean, does it doesn't have to be somebody who's like, you know, completely you know mentally retarded, maybe uh, unfortunately unfit for that role. Maybe we can find him, you know, along with maybe as one of Sam's friends or, you know, so somewhere else in the, the movie, you know, somewhere else. But we, we would want to see someone who struggles with disability and comes all, uh, across as someone who, uh, you know, as somebody who is seriously mentally disabled actually has a disability, understands a disability um, and is doing the best of their capabilities of acting out this role. I I, I do agree, John, that I, in my opinion, when I thought of this movie and I saw these statistics, I'm like, you know, maybe if this movie does come out in 2023, there's maybe an even, you know, bigger impact on society. Um, Obviously, I, th- I think we get somebody to do a different role of Sam. But I think that's what we're kind of saying here—not just not being Sean Penn, but being somebody who actually is disabled. I think definitely could have, you know, a, a big impact, especially for the people who want to see that impact, like the people who want to see, uh, you know, that th- that change. Yeah, definitely,
0: definitely. I thought it was a a really nice selection, and I'm glad we were able to uh, to have a good old chat about I Am Sam. Again, track down that soundtrack; it has some 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 nice nice cuts on it. Uh, Okay, so now we uh, arrive at uh, our last segment, connecting the dots, taking our cues from the Braille alphabet constructed of six dots, one, two, three, four, five, six, and uh, the different combinations those dots can make and um, how folks interact with the world using the Braille system. So I wanted to talk this week about getting offended and not getting offended. I think there's a tendency in the year of our Lord 2023 to find fault with things, looking for reasons to get agitated. Now, it would get boring if I were to go on some diatribe about... Why are we canceling people and just the whole cancel culture and that like people, it's not interesting at this point to hear people talk about that. But I do think it is kind of interesting to talk about why is it that we get so offended? So I wanted to call myself out. You're a New Yorker, Aiden. You might remember when former governor Elliot Spitzer uh, was forced to resign in disgrace after a sex scandal. The I believe he was a lieutenant governor of New York being elevated into the position, one David Patterson, uh, a gentleman who actually suffered from a visual impairment. Maybe the most notable politician, certainly the most notable politician that I can think of, who's held public office while simultaneously grappling with a serious vision impairment. So I was pretty excited about somebody in the visually impaired community being elevated to such an influential, powerful position. Could not think of a serious precedent where that had happened. And yeah, it was just, it was kind of a point of pride, to be honest. Then there was this sketch on Saturday Night Live where Fred Armisen portrayed David Patterson kind of like Mr. Magoo, where he's sort of bumbling and not able to deliver a coherent speech, um, not able to see this and to see that, and the whole thing made him look uh, underqualified, shall we say, uh, to hold such a prestigious position. And I saw this sketch, and um, though I don't like being the person who gets offended, I couldn't help it. I went, oh, come on. Really? you got to go there? There aren't enough people, um, able-bodied folks, uh, that you can kind of knock down a peg. Like, fine, you know, make fun of the governor. Like, you get into politics, uh, you get into public office. Become a public figure. It's part of the deal. However, I don't know. Shouldn't there have been some sort of line that, like, maybe we shouldn't make fun of him for being visually impaired? And yet they went ahead and crossed that line. So the first time that I saw the sketch, that I, well, even before I saw it, the first time I heard about the sketch, my instant reaction was to, well, to get offended. You know, come like again, like I said, just you don't need to go there with um with this gentleman and yet if i'm being completely honest i'm kind of glad they did in hindsight now that some distance has been established and i can see the situation um without that immediate sense of outrage that i felt uh when the sketch was aired a decade ago everyone gets made fun of on saturday night live that's the point the whole thing is a satire The objective of the show, as it always has been, since the program began airing in 1975, has been to make fun of people. Now, whether it is making fun of somebody's sexual orientation, like, there are lines in the sand, Um, but you know what? If you can't laugh at yourself in one way, shape, form, or another, then you're taking yourself too seriously. And that's the type of stuff that gets people into trouble. When you can't laugh at yourself, when you can't poke fun at your own community, uh, when you can't see the humor in a situation, that's when people get into trouble. They take life way too seriously. They begin to take themselves too seriously. And um, you know what? Life is just too short for that. Like we established at the outset of this episode with our words to live by, From the one and only, incomparable Steve Jobs, don't live life for other people. Your time is limited. Don't waste it being offended. Don't make the same mistake that I did and immediately rush to judgment trying to condemn an institution like Saturday Night Live that, if we're being fair, pokes fun at everyone. Why should the visually impaired community be any different?
1: What do you think, Aiden? yeah john you know that's actually like a really interesting point that you brought up is because you know saturday night live they're notorious for making fun of like you said everyone i mean they go after you know politicians they go after them all the time presidents um you know they they go after everyone they go um it's kind of like you know what i think as well it kind of fits into those lines or like you know the family guys in the south park can be super crude um you know probably not the uh what you should be watching at you know c- certain ages, but um as you said, John, they they go after everyone. It's not a direct target, and that, that's what I think the point that's a good point that you brought up. It's not like every single episode they're coming on and they're going after the same you know disabled community every single episode and they're just pounding and pounding them. That's wrong. That's strong. That's, you know, that's crossing the line, going to the same community. That That's not, that's not humor anymore. That's just bullying. But you brought up the good point. They they go after everyone, and you know everyone kind of you know get, get maybe gives a little bit of a chuckle. I mean, if you don't love the joke, I mean, they're, I mean, it's 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 a little crude sometimes. You're not not everyone's going to love every joke. That everyone you, you said, John. At first, you were a little bit offended. Then you, you took a little bit of a step back and you realized, okay, well, this show kind of goes after everyone. It wasn't anything you know to completely directed, and you know it's not like they're going after one single community they go after everyone and when you put it that way like it makes sense you're kind of like oh okay like i mean uh, me myself i I don't stand for you know making fun of anybody who's disabled special needs i mean it, it gets me like it gets me angry um but the way that you put that is that you know saturday night live they're known for making fun of everyone they every single show they're gonna go after, you know, a certain, you know, group of people or a certain person or a certain person in a certain type of job position. Um, they're they're gonna go after them. And I mean, that's what it should be taken as. It's not anything that's like um should be taken personally. Um, I mean, they're not like they don't have like this, you know, vendetta against a certain community. No, they go after everyone. Um, it's 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 just it's what the show is. They're trying to you know, be funny while, you know, not completely crossing a line. I mean, I, I guess on unfor- I mean, I don't, I don't want to say, unfortunately, either like the, the lines are a little bit, you know, they go a little bit closer than, um, you know, some other people, but that's because that's kind of, like you said, that's their thing. They're creating humor. They're going after, uh, you know, they're, they're not going actually, they're not I should use a different word because they're not going after each community They're just, they're pointing out things in each community and they're making a little bit of a joke out of it. You know, John, I'm glad that you, you know, were able to, you know, you sat back and you went, you know, and I'm glad that you feel personally that you're no longer like personally upset by it or, you know, feel hurt by it, that they're going after everyone and that it wasn't a personal attack on anyone in that community. It was just, that's the idea of their show. And I mean, you know, some people don't like it. Uh, If they don't like it, you know, I mean, I don't think we're ever forcing anybody to watch it or agree with it. Um, but we it's good to understand uh their point of view. Um, and it it's not any you know personal attack, as I think John me and you kind of have said and agreed with.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, my point was just look, life's life's kind of short. Don't waste it just being offended by everything, you know. Yeah. Um so that is going to do it for another installment of, of visionaries uh aiden where can the folks uh interact with the program
1: yeah uh visionaries podcast you year podcast spotify or apple podcast we are on both visionary podcasts on instagram as well go ahead give us a look and uh we we'll definitely look forward to speaking with you guys next
0: time yeah thanks everyone and we will speak again very soon